Good morning, church. Merry Christmas. May as well get happy about saying it. You got a few more weeks. I rarely do this, but I saw something posted that I just absolutely had to share with you. If you throw it up on the screen, but um, this is really true on the screen. There it is. Uh, he's been reading your post, and the most of you are getting Bibles and dictionaries for Christmas. So um, just to let you know, if you've been naughty or nice right there, that's what's going to be in your stocking this year. All right. Let me just punctuate Advent in music just for a moment. This is something that has become a truly momentous legacy event for us here at Grace. But it's not just intended to entertain us, but it's one of those events that you can say, come to, come to hear some great music with me. You don't have to say it's at a church. We're not going to a church service. And use the word free. Because right now, folks really need to hear that word free because their, their visa cards are straining and bulging in this particular moment. And so, but this is a tremendous moment, not just for us to come together as a church, but for you to bring somebody to this property. So please, tomorrow night, it's going to be amazing. Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 5. But when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under law, that we might receive the full rights of sons. In the fullness of time, God sent. Historians, theologians have no real problem with a historical Jesus. Now the challenge comes in who this Jesus was. Teacher, prophet, what was he? Son of God. But the historicity is not really challenged much. But consider for a moment all of the moments in history prior to that, that it would have been really convenient for God to have sent Jesus. But God chose that moment in the fullness of time. And there's something about that word, that phrase, fullness of time, that we understand God's sovereignty as it involves timing. Daniel chapter 2, it says, he changes. Say that, he changes. Times and seasons. He sets up kings, deposes them. He gives wisdom to the wise, knowledge to the discerning. And he reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness and light dwells with him. He changes times and seasons. No other time of the year do we hear the word season used more than right now. The season of the year. The reason for the season. And yet, our challenge as humanity is understanding and discerning the times and the seasons in which we find ourselves. And not just where we find ourselves in the entire scope and scale of history. 2019. But where has God placed you? 
your family? What season are you finding yourselves in? Because that's where it becomes very, very unique. And it becomes imperative that we discern the season in which we have found ourselves. Our challenge is men and women, it's always timing. Most of us in this room, we don't have a theological or relational challenge that God will do a thing. That God is well able, God is well capable. Our challenge is simply what? When will he do it? When is he going to show up? When is he going to do the God thing? And it's in this aspect of timing that our humanity really, be, just, it just leaks out. And we rarely get it right. Kids. I mean, Santa Claus, they take the swimsuits down and they put Santa up. So somewhere around August or September, our, you know, kids are bombarded with it now until finally they're just, their little souls are so, is it Christmas yet? Is it Christmas yet? Is it Christmas yet? And the parents are like, it's Christmas again? I mean, you're still, you're still paying off minimum payments from last Christmas. And it's just like, it's Christmas again? And it's an amazing phenomenon that when you're young, time just does what? It just, it's glacial. But when you get a little bit older, or really old, like Daryl Green and myself, when you, I mean, all of a sudden now, let me just, Pastor Duke's not here today, so you, you're the oldest one I could find on the front row. But when you get older, all of a sudden things just, man, they just pick up. I mean, we've, I've got four grandchildren, and the oldest one is 10 years old. I look at that boy, and I'm saying, stop. <laughs> Just stop it. I mean, he's not a little kid. I mean, he's 10 years old now. And I'm like, this is just wrong. And this is like, wait a minute. Didn't we just bring, didn't, didn't, I just got these containers out of the attic for Christmas. Now I'm getting, help me out. It's just, it just well, I'm old. Then there are relational seasons. My wife and I are coming up on 42 years of marriage. Yeah, and I, all that's applaud is for her. Let me just tell you, give honor where honor's due, the scripture says. And yes, she's an amazing woman. 42 years of marriage. And I would love to tell you it's been 42 years of wedded bliss. But preachers ought not to lie. <laughs> and let me tell you, there have been one or two moments, months, maybe years, where <laughs> the, the covenant was never in question. The commitment was never in question. My wife and I never, never uncovered the WMDs, the weapons of mass destruction. So even, even in the midst of our most intense fellowship, it's just like going to be, well, I'm here and you're here. Well, we ain't going nowhere. So, I mean, that's it. that was a given in the equation every time. However, I love you. But I don't like you much right now. <laughs> and don't kid yourself. Marriages go through seasons. 
And the challenge is if you don't understand that, that when the first fall or winter season comes, and we're not all... And then a, the couple will say, well, we just, uh, the spark is gone. And then they just, they're, then they're gone. How many of you know that's just dumb? Because there are seasons in relationships. There are seasons in a marriage. That there are some moments that are better than other moments. There are seasons that are better than other seasons. You remember when you had all those little people running around? I mean, it was just like, you're just trying to get, you know, just, just one nap to the next. And then children. Let's talk about those children's. You go through seasons and it's just like, I don't even know who you are. I see your pod that was left behind. But where is the sweet little boy or girl? Because now you're just a surly 15-year-old that knows everything. And I don't like you. <laughs> and I know you don't like me. So let's just leave it at that for right now. Now, I know that I'm the Potter Familius. It's on the birth certificate. And I know that you are my, my child. And, and I may have to visit you behind plexiglass when you're in prison. But I'm still going to love you. I got that. So that's all established. But children, they, when they go through these moments where we, it, it's, it's tough. Anybody ever been through a tough season with a child? Come on. All it takes is for them to get married, to have one of their own children, and you're a genius again. All of a sudden now, they're blowing your phone up looking for advice about life. But all it takes, all it takes is the miracle of reproduction, and you're a genius Again, so if you've got a 15 or 16-year-old that all of the deposit of the wisdom of the universe has been deposited with them, and there's nothing but air between your ears, hang on. You shall be restored to thy place of honor. But we have to understand there are seasons, Amen. Any more than we don't get divorced from a spouse or we don't send our children packing. There's seasons that we have to recognize that we're in. And they're not all just happy little happy faces and emojis and smiles and, you know, Wee! I mean, it's not all that all the time. The disciples were obsessed with timing and seasons. Asking Jesus, are you going to restore the kingdom at this time? And Jesus said, that's the wrong question, boys. It's not for you to know the times or seasons that my father has set. Interesting. You know, I think an interesting study would be to look at the rebukes of Jesus. Because obviously something that would have gotten his attention enough to have inscripturated him pushing back would be interesting. Now, we know he rebuked the disciples on a fairly, fairly regular basis on their lack of trust or faith. But we also find this rebuke in Luke 12. He looked at the crowd and said, when, you, when a cloud rises in the west, you say it's going to rain. When the south wind blows, you say it's going to be hot. You know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and the sky. How is it 
that you don't know how to interpret this present time. Somehow Jesus had an expectation, not just on those closest to him, but he was speaking to the crowd in this moment that you can, you can tune in to the Weather Channel, you can read the news, but you have no idea the time in which you have found yourself. How is it you can't interpret the time? Interesting. Now we see a couple of concepts of time that I need to just insert here for a moment. There's a word for time comes from the Greek chronos, chronos, chronographer, chronometer, a time, linear time, an invention of man, minutes, seconds, the Roman calendar, months, years. But there's another type of time that the Bible calls kairos time, which means appointed time or season. And how many of you know that God, and we saw this from Daniel, God appoints times and seasons in the life of a man or a woman or a nation or church, any type of peoples, God has appointed times and seasons, but it is for you and for me to discern what are the times and seasons in which God has placed us. We need to know that as the church. It is not random. That God has you and me alive and in this place at this time. For such a time as this. It's not random. It is God's appointed time and season for the church. But I don't want to get too macro this morning. I want to bring this down to where we live. So it begs the question, what time is it? Well, it's time for you to be quiet so I can go to lunch. No. What time is it? Let's drill down a minute. Let's talk about the folly of not understanding this. Pastor Duke and I commute in from a different time zone. <laughs> and we were on 66, and this, this guy pulls up next to us, and I, I've got to set this up for you. He is in a turquoise Murano, first of all. But it gets better. A turquoise, a Murano, if you have one, God bless you. And I hope that this person is not in this room this morning. I'm, I'm, I'm counting on this. A turquoise Murano Cabriolet, a convertible. A minivan convertible. Not only that, completely upholstered in white on the inside. We had to look twice. I didn't know that there was a, there, there was a Pat Boone option that you could put on a car. All right? Nobody even knows who Pat Boone is. It's all right. Some older people here, they got, the, they got the reference. All right. Nevertheless, this dude is right, I mean, and convertible now. White interior. Turquoise. And Pastor Duke and I, we're staring. You know when you stare at something that you shouldn't? And the person sees you looking at them, and you want to look back, but you, it's something in human nature that you can't look away because it's something that has seared your eye sockets 
forever. And we're staring at this dude, right? In this unicorn of an automobile. <laughs> Sighted in the wild for the first time. Let me just tell you, whoever sold that car got the ham. Don't you know that the guys on the lot, first of all, the, 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 it was a joke that they sent it to the dealer. Never mind. And so this guy stares at us back and he kind of goes. <laughs> it's just like, you think, we think you're cool. We think you look like a fool. Because <laughs> he really thought he was rocking it in this turquoise minivan with a white interior. It's ridiculous. It's a little bit like skinny jeans. Can we talk about that for a moment? <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow. Some articles of clothing should come with age requirements. My wife and I were just Christmas shopping for Christmas. We were in Carter shopping for the grandkids, and it's clearly marked there, 12 to 24 months, right? 3T, 4T. They should have something on skinny jeans not to be sold. To anyone over 36 years old. That's why when you get to be old and decrepit like I, they put lots of fabric in pants. It's the way God intended it to be. The folly of not understanding the season that you're in. It's like guys combing over the last four. Praying that not, not one of them falls out. Come on, man, get real. Let it go. You're old. You're follically challenged. But at least you're honest about yours. But you see kids going in the opposite direction. They are just and determined to figure out how fast can we grow up. Oh, my gosh. Kids five years old. Where's my iPhone? <laughs> yeah, where is it? <laughs> Still in the store. <laughs> Check back in three years or ten years or whatever when you can buy one. Talking, dressing, trying to act a part of being older than they are. It's ridiculous. Not understanding the season. And this failure to recognize the season that we're in carries with it consequences. We ask a simple question, how are you? And most people are just like, I'm fine. Or if they're from church, blessed. <laughs> Imagine they can say it and be mad at the same time. Blessed. But what will most people say to you? How are you doing? I am so tired. <laughs> Nod your head. I am so tired. I'm exhausted. 
Or here's one, I just don't have time. I don't have time. I mean, Pastor AJ, been working diligently to get you folks into small groups. And the pushback is not, well, we don't believe in small groups. We don't like small groups. We don't even like you. That's not the pushback. The pushback is, I don't have time. Here's the reality. You do have time. And this is not just a pitch for small groups. I got you. Tw- I got two for two for you right there. You see that? It's like somebody saying, I don't have any money. Well, you did have money. Now, if you're working, the man paid you. So you had some money. Now, maybe you ran out a month. I understand all that, but you had money. It's like, well, I don't have time. No, 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 no. You have time. It's how you are choosing to do what? Appropriate that time in the season in which you have found yourself. Interesting. And we've developed, ladies and gentlemen, and you know this, this pace of life along with an unrealistic viewpoint and vantage point of seasons. The advertising industry invented this decades ago that we're going to put up there what everyone's life should look like. So if you do have a turquoise Murano Cabriolet with a white interior, you can be younger. (laughs) Wrong. But now we've got social media putting up the highlight reels of everybody's life. And you look and it used to be you only had to deal with it once a year when you got the Christmas letter. Well, little Bobby cured cancer and, you know, he's been admitted to all of the IVs and he's only 14 years old and it's just like, shoot me now. But now we get the highlight reels all the time of what everybody's accomplishments in life looks like. They just give, come on, folks, they're just giving you the good part. They're just showing you the touchdowns. I'm not showing people getting hit at 60 miles an hour over and over again on a Sunday afternoon. You're not seeing that part. But it creates this unrealistic expectation of seasons. And we've lost a sense of this rhythm and symmetry of life. My wife and I were talking about the artificial seasons that we have now. Going back to the Industrial Revolution. I mean, it used to be that you lived your life, for instance, on circadian rhythms. The light went up, you got up. Light went down, you did what? You went to sleep. Now we've got the light bulb that can keep us up forever. We can work all the time. And now we've got these blue lights that come out of these bad boys that will keep us up for days. These artificial seasons that get created. You go to the grocery store now. You can buy the same vegetables 12 months a year. Can I help you out? It's ridiculous. There are no tomatoes being grown in Northern Virginia right now. I was raised a heathen Episcopalian. We had church seasons. Church seasons. Advent, Epiphany, Lent. Different colors of drapings on the altar and on the pulpit. And while I barely understood what was going on, I did know that it provided a certain security and symmetry to my life, even in the seasons that we celebrated in the context of what we called worship in that environment. And then the season changes and we hate it. You ever see somebody fight against the weather? I hate this cold weather! Well, you're going to be real miserable for about three or four more months then. 
Unless you got RV and you're headed south. But we fight against these seasons. And, we, we, and so to cope many times, what we tend to do is we tend to wrongly live either in the past or in the future. Because this moment that we are finding ourselves in is so difficult or so grim, somehow God has made a mistake. Wow. We go to the past. And I got to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, my wife can attest to this sadly, is that whenever I start living in a different realm, either past or future, invariably it's an indicator that my soul is not real healthy in that moment. Because I'm not coping in my present with the grace that God has apportioned for me. And let me tell you, we start living in the past. And this is a moment that it's all about, oh, family in the past. Let me tell you, the line between nostalgia and regret is so fine, most people can't find it. It's so thin. Hear me. I mean, they're laying the foundations for the temple in Ezra 3. And it says that the older priests and the heads of families, it says they had seen the former. It says they wept aloud and they wept so loudly that the sound of the praises and the sound of the weeping could barely be distinguished. Because rather than celebrating the moment of restoration that they found themselves in, all they could do was look behind them and say, remember when? The same way that they're sitting around. Remember all that great onion soup that we had when we were slaves? Couldn't remember anything but that watery pot of vegetables through their captivity. And listen, saints, when we try to live out of season, we live out of grace. Because grace is apportioned in the moment. It's given us daily. Give us this day our what? daily bread the manna didn't come down a month at a time go out on the first and get a basket full no no it came down every day you've got to get that grace every day you've got to find the grace for the season that God has you in maybe it's not the happiest season of your life maybe you're in a tough place maybe you're not in the most ideal spot in your marriage in your job in your finances but listen to me if you don't live in the season that God has placed you you will live outside of his grace outside of his provision for where he's called you in the moment then there's fullness. What does that look like? First Chronicles 12, the men of Issachar who understood the times and knew what Israel should do. You see, discerning the times is critical for pulling down all that God has for us in this moment. Ecclesiastes 3, 1 through 11 talks about time. That there is a time for what? Everything. Season for every activity under heaven. And he goes through this list. A time to be born and die, plant, uproot, etc. And he goes on and he says this. He makes everything beautiful in its time. Oh man, maybe you're in an ugly moment. Listen to me. Maybe one of your children is in an ugly moment. But God says he, he 
will make everything beautiful in his time. His time. When we're living on his time, not ours. That's what's critical. Farmers, understand this. I'm from a farming family. And farmers instinctively, they live their entire lives on the understanding of how the seasons cooperate with one another. They understand there's a moment to till, there's a moment to sow, a moment to tend. There's a, there's, there's a moment to harvest and reap, there's a moment to rest. And then we repeat. And if they try to do any of those things out of order and out of cooperation with the season, guess what? They're not in business the next year. They can't move those things out of order because there's a season for all of it. My wife and I have done the Mother Earth thing. We've had chickens and we've had gardens and we've tried all of that. And all I can say is God bless Wegmans. And you can tell from this carefully crafted accent, I'm not from around here, y'all. But in North Carolina, where it's hotter than hot, anybody can take a tomato plant, it's not tomato, it's tomato, and put it in the ground, and on July the 4th, they can go outside, and there will be red tomatoes on that tomato vine. My wife and I have tried growing tomatoes up here. We live about 3,000 feet up on what's called Blue Mountain. Because you can't grow red tomatoes on Blue Mountain. We've learned that. It's not hot enough. We've put them in greenhouses. We've done everything we can, but there's not enough sustained heat and sunshine to get a tomato to ever turn red. Those bad boys will be green and hanging on in October. (laughs) You can go out there and pray and speak to them. Turn red! They just look back. It's Christmas, green and red. Let me tell you, if you've ever had a tomato that ripened on the vine, let me just tell you, I'm not talking about these green tomatoes that come from somewhere in Central America, and they ship them in here like rocks, and you're praying that they're somehow going to turn red. I'm talking about going outside, it's hot, and you pull that tomato off, and it just drops off in your hand. You don't even have to twist it off, it just drops off in your hand. It's the sweetest tomato you've ever eaten in your life. Corn, I'm having a worship moment here. Corn, (laughs) you go and you pull an ear of sweet corn that has gotten sweet on the vine. There's something about bringing something to harvest. He does, he makes all things what? In his time, he makes all things sweet in his time. And when it vine ripens, it's a whole different thing. Let me tell you. That what was bitter, what was hard, what was green and grim, God turns it into something amazing. If we will let it stay there. My wife and I being musicians. Music's made up of two parts, pitch and rhythm. Pitch is the actual note. Rhythm is how long the note lasts. And that's what music is. It's just a combination of those two things. Amazing that we could, in in Western music, what we call Western music, that we can take 12 different pitches and we continue to produce new music out of it because of all of the variations of pitch and rhythm. It's amazing to me. And yet, it's an amazing thing as well 
that rhythm is what we tend to mess up the most. These amazing musicians that you hear on the stage every time you come into this room, you think, wow, they play together really well. You know why? They got something in their ears. They're not just ugly earrings. They're in-ear monitors that are keeping them what? Together. My wife and I have got locked up into small practice rooms with a thing called a metronome to teach us to play in time. Galatians 5.25 says, let us keep in step with the Spirit. God has a pace, and God's never in a hurry. You see, what children do, they run ahead, particularly in the mall. And they run ahead with the expectation that you're going to do what? Run them down. You get a little older, you do this. And God, hey, God, come on. God said, no, 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 no. This is how fast I'm walking. You come get in step with me. You get in lockstep with what I'm doing. You get in lockstep with my season, my timing for these things in your life. Because the last I checked, you're supposed to be following me. I'm not supposed to be following you. And musicians always push the beat. We always push the tempo. We rush. And that's how it is in our humanity. Jesus, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. So you just don't get it. See, I'm here at exactly the right time. See, I'm, exactly, I'm here at exactly the right time so that the maximum glory given the Father and the resurrection of your brother could be seen. See, if I'd gotten here earlier, you would have just said he was in a coma. Or really early, it would have been he was just sick and he got over it. But no, no, no. He rotten. He's decomposing. There is no question a miracle is about to occur. And my timing for this event was absolutely perfect. And then fruit. Last point. It's a phenomenon called seasonal affective disorder. It's a type of depression where we get really sad, cranky, low-level depression, particularly around fall and winter. The days get short. Not enough light, not enough vitamin D. It's, it's, it's medically recognized. And yet, how many of you know that seasonal affective disorder is never an excuse for not bearing the fruit that God has for you and me. Period. Luke, the 11th chapter. Jesus is going to Bethany. He's hungry. He sees a fig tree in the distance. He walks up to the tree. It's not the season for figs. And he curses the tree. And I look at that passage and I'm thinking, man, that's a raw deal on the part of the tree. I mean, here's God. He made the tree. He made the tree to bear one crop of figs once a year in season. Jesus is walking up, realizing it's not the season for figs, and he still curses the tree. It's like, what is this? You see, there's a mandate that because of the presence of God in our life, that fruit comes forth irrespective of the season in which we find ourselves. Galatians, the fifth chapter, as it talks about the fruit of the Spirit. 
Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Why? Because of the Christ that lives on the inside of us. Ezekiel 47 talks about a river that runs from the throne and it runs to some trees that are planted by this river. And it says something happens about these trees. It says that what? They produce fruit 12 months a year. Every month they produce. There's not a tree on the planet that produces fruit 12 months a year except the one that the river from the throne runs to. Ladies and gentlemen, irrespective of season, that's what the fruit of the Spirit is supposed to look like in the life of a believer. It has nothing to do with how ideal the season or how grim the season. The fruit of the Spirit is the work and the manifestation of Christ that lives on the inside of you. Let me tell you, it's not just the execution of one of the 1 Corinthians 12 or 14 gifts of the Holy Ghost. It is Christ in us producing something through us that we can never produce otherwise. And it's the work of the Spirit. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, pastor, theologian, social dissident, martyred just a few weeks before the end of World War II for his stance position of how the church was to have responded to what was happening around them. He makes this statement from the cost of discipleship. Fruit is always the miraculous, the created. It is never the result of willing, but always a growth. And the fruit of the spirit is a gift of God and only he can produce it. And they who bear it know as little about it as a tree knows of its fruit. They only know the power of him on whom their life depends. John 15, this is to my Father's glory that you bear what? Much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. But listen, saints, it's not about what you do. That's what the fruit of the Spirit is. It's a manifestation. God is producing something in and through me that I could never in my best day produce on my own. And it's irrespective of circumstance and the season in which I find myself. So what time is it? Do you know? If you don't, you need to. Like the sons of Issachar, we need discernment as individuals, in our families, as a church and as the church. We need to understand the times because it's only when we can recognize the time and the season in which we find ourselves that we can properly operate and navigate that which God has for us in this moment. There's a reason for the season and not just this one. There's a reason for every season that God places us in. Don't be found in folly. Combing over the last four hairs. Buying the convertible. It's ridiculous. Don't do it. The fullness, recognizing that season, cooperating with it, and then bearing the fruit that only the Spirit can produce through you. Pray with me. Lord, help us hear well today, but God, by your Spirit, help us respond even better.
God, it's easy to hear a message like this and say, oh, that's nice. But God, I pray that every man or woman would have not only the application, but God, the revelation of understanding the season in which you've placed them. The unique opportunities that are availed to them in that moment. Let us not miss it. Let us not miss it as individuals, but let us not miss it as the church. For such a time as this, here we are. Let us not miss it.